All right, as we make our way to our seats, we want to encourage our children up to grades two to head out to Children's Church. It is always good to see the benches clear for a good reason. Our text today is going to be found in 2 Kings chapter 22, so that's 2 Kings 22. That is in the Old Testament, a little bit more towards the front of your Bible. If you open up your Bible into the dead center, you're probably going to be in the book of Psalms and you want to head towards the front. Um, 2 Kings is going to be a little bit before all that. It's in one of the history writings. We are going to be reading a story from the history of the nation of Israel. And with that, this might sound familiar to you if you have been attending our Sunday school classes, because we've actually looked at this text in Sunday school in weeks prior. So we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 22, verses 1 through 13. And if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. The word of God says this, it says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jediah, the daughter of Adoniah of uh, Bozkath. And I probably mispronounced those, but you don't know the difference, so that's fine. He did right in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in all the ways of his father David, nor did he turn aside to the right or to the left. Now, in the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shephan, the son of Hazaliah, the son of Meshulam, the scribe, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people. Then let them deliver it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the workmen who are in the house of the Lord to repair the damages to the house." to the carpenters and to the builders and the masons for buying timber and hewn stone to repair the house. Only no accounting shall be made for them for the money delivered into their hands, for they deal faithfully. Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shephem the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shephem who read it. Shephem the scribe came to the city, or excuse me, to the king And brought back the word to the king and said, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hands of the workmen who have the oversight over the house of the Lord. Moreover, Shephan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shephan read it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Akbor, the son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the scribe, and Isaiah, the king's servant, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me and the people and all of Judea concerning the words of this book that have been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that burns against us, because our fathers have not listened to the words of this book to do according to that all that is written concerning us. Please be seated. The title of this message is, it is, uh, it is About Me, and which is not something that, that we often hear when we are talking about things at Tunnel Hill Baptist Church. 
Probably the biggest reason for that is that most people do not struggle to make things all about themselves. Thanks in part to media today, or we might even specify something like social media that has really evolved and and come into a, a new thing in the past 20 years, we have a lot, we have, excuse me, we have no trouble expressing our opinions. It is very easy for us to make things all about us. We run to the internet in order to proclaim our political views, to bemoan a bad restaurant or bad retail experience, or even entertain everyone with our own unique brand of humor, some special talent, or just flat out being stupid on the internet. We have, we tend to, and we have created a culture that loves to make everything about us or everything about me, and yet there seems to still be one area of life where we struggle to make things all about us. And this area is what I would say is sin. See, we have no problem making things all about us when it serves our, serves our purpose, when it gets us attention, when it gets us something for free, when it, when it allows us to be uh, complimented and, and, and flattered in all these different ways. But in the area of our own personal sin, we tend to try to put the spotlight back on someone else, don't we? It's just, it's just who we are. In fact, it, it, it's really pretty natural. When we are confronted by our own sin, whether that is from the Bible itself, maybe it's from a sermon or, or just someone in particular comes to you and says, hey, you did this and that really hurt me. And, and I think and what you're doing is wrong. And I, and I and, and either ask for an apology or, or calls you to make a change. We tend to want to pass the blame on to someone else. Well, I would not have done that if you had not done this. Well, I would have never even thought of that except for she did this first. Or who are you to tell me that I'm doing something wrong when you have so much going on in your life? This is a reality as old as time itself. Going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, we could look at Adam and Eve and the serpent that deceived them. When they sinned against God and Adam questioned them on it, it was Adam who pointed to Eve and Eve who pointed to the snake. And from the very birth of sin, we have tried to pass the blame. It's normal, but that doesn't mean that it's right. In our passage today, we are introduced to a king named Josiah. Now, Josiah's father and Josiah's grandfather were both sinful men that promoted all sorts of idolatry. And they did all sorts of things within the nation of of Judah. This was the southern kingdom. And they had all sorts of of altars and shrines and and temples. And they had had messed up the the temple of God of Yahweh and had brought in other things. And, and, And for Josiah's very young life, when he experienced his relationship with his father, it was all about these sinful things that were intended to draw people away from God. But when Josiah came to power at only at only eight years of age, 
He decided to bring the people back to Yahweh, to the one true God. This included absolutely demolishing idols and altars, cutting down Asherah poles. It even says that he would take the idols and the things and he would grind them to dust. Because he didn't even want there to be the potential that if he just threw it out into the dump, that someone would go out and get it and reestablish it if when he wasn't looking. And so he would take these idols and these altars and all these things and he ground them into dust and he threw them into the, the burial places of the people who used to worship them. You can see this in Second Chronicles 34. Where our story picks up, we find a Josiah who has ordered the restoration of the temple. It had been neglected, it had fallen apart, it had been been. Uh, changed so that it could be used to worship other gods and he begins to make changes and he begins to put money into the hands of people who can fix it so that they might have proper worship of the one true god in doing so they find a book Imagine for just a moment that you are in the temple and maybe you are the high priest and you're one of the very very few that have remained faithful to God and finally, finally, finally you have gotten the help and you've gotten the money and you've got the ability to start fixing things and so you start moving stuff out and you start organizing stuff and you find and you find something that you thought was lost. We can relate to that. Have you ever started cleaning your house? Maybe it was your basement or maybe it was that one closet that is the catch-all for everything. And as you are cleaning it out, suddenly you uncover something that you thought was gone. It's a good feeling, isn't it? Just yesterday, I had ordered one of my daughters, who shall remain nameless, to clean her room. And as she was cleaning her room, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I was doing other things. I was doing other chores. I heard, oh, I thought I lost that. And I was like, it's amazing what happens when you clean your room, huh? And I think that's exactly what Hilkiah probably did is that they were moving stuff out. Who knows if there was just papers and parchment? Who knows if he was getting rid of all the junk that maybe had filled up a, a room, um, some, you know, an, an altar to some other guy that they finally pulled all that stuff out and threw it in the garbage. And in the midst of the temple, they found a book, probably more likely a scroll, but a book of the law. And I can only imagine for just a moment as Hilkiah opens up that scroll, or and I don't think it was an actual book like we have today, opens up that scroll and begins to read it and realizes what he has. And he's like, oh, I thought we lost this. And so he takes it out, and, and I know I'm speculating here a little bit, but he takes it out and we know that he eventually brings that to the king's scribe. Now, a scribe is basically the king's attendant, and he records everything the king does and says. So when the king makes a decree, if he says, from this day forth, raisins will be outlawed in my kingdom. He writes it down, and then sometime later he can say, what did I say about raisins? And he'd say, well, you said, if I go back, it says that you outlawed them. And he'd say, that was a good decision. I don't regret that decision at all. And so the scribe, that was his job, and the scribe was probably at the temple, or they had met up to get an update on how the repairs of the temple were going. And he says, and he tells him, and he says, oh, by the way, we found this. And he hands it over to the scribe of the king. 
And so the scribe then takes this book to the king. And he says, hey, we found a book in the temple. And I got to love because I really, truly believe that this scribe, he also must have known the value because he didn't just go, hey, king, guess what? We found a book. Doesn't this look cool? Be honest. How many of you have a book on your bookshelf somewhere that looks cool that you have never cracked open? How many of you still buy books that you knowing full well that you have books that you have never cracked open? My least favorite question for people to ask me when they come into my office is, have you read all these? Because I'm like, no. But don't tell my wife. But this, but, but the scribe comes in and he says, hey, we found this book in the temple. Can I read it to you? He had to have known. He had to have known the significance of what he, what he had in his hands. And so he began to read this book to Josiah. And this book of the law was a book that God had given to Israel so that they might live in covenant with Him. And as Josiah listens to this book, he begins to realize the obvious. That Israel was not living in covenant with God. And he responded in a way that we should take note of today. See, for us today, Josiah is a beautiful picture of what true repentance looks like. And as we continue in our road to revival in these next few weeks, as we move to revival services, we need to think about what this kind of repentance would mean for us as a church. And so I want us to look together today at the the example that Josiah gives us of real repentance. And as we do so, I want you to make it all about you. Don't think about how the nation needs to repent. It does. Don't think about how this county needs to repent. Don't think about how maybe we as a church need to repent. But I want you to think about how you need to repent today. See, today is the day I want you to make it all about you. And my hope and my prayer is that God will speak to you today through the words of Josiah. So let's get into it. Let's actually go back to the text and look at how Josiah responds to this. It says that the king heard the words of the book of the law and he tore his clothes and he called all of these people together. He said, go inquire of the Lord for all that Judah has done concerning the words of this book. For great is the wrath of the Lord that burns against our fathers who have not listened to the words of this book and to do according to it. See, the first thing that I want you to note that Josiah does is he admits that there is sin in his life. And really specifically in the life of of the nation of Israel. Now, ironically, and I thought this was an interesting point as I got into the study of this, is that Josiah's very, like the very nature of him being king was actually a really big indicator that, that Judah had really gone off the tracks. Let me, let me explain that to you. In Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 16, Solomon, who was once king of all Israel, said this. He said, Woe to you, O land, whose king is a lad and whose princes feast in the morning. 
See, uh, Solomon at one point had said that, that woe to or, or sorrow and woe to the nation who has a child as its king. And this was the exact situation that Josiah had inherited when he came into power. Solomon's words reveal that a nation that has already wandered away from God results in this constant change of leadership, typically leading to the point that you have young leaders who are taken advantage of by these princes or by these other political leaders. Now that Josiah is actually reading the law for himself, he is beginning to see exactly how the nation of Israel, including himself, has turned away from God. And because of that, he has a choice to make. I want you to think about this for just a moment. You realize that that in this moment, he is listening to um, the law. He is listening to the covenant that God has made with Israel. And it's all the things that says, listen, if you want to stay in covenant with me, if you want to love me and, and follow my will, this is how you are to live in the land. And he is listening to that. And over and over and over again, he's saying, not doing that, not doing that, not doing that. And he has a choice to make. He could, cause he could do a couple of things. He could have turned to his scribe and said, you can stop now. I don't want to hear this anymore. I don't want to, um, I don't want to, you know, I don't need, I don't need this downer in my life. I I don't need all of this. You can finish now. In fact, you can take that book and you can take it back to Hilkiah, the high priest and have him set it somewhere back in the temple. Um, I've got other things on my mind. I don't need that downer in my life right now. He could have brushed it off. He could have even said, well, that's what my fathers did. That's not me. Yeah, that's how things used to be. That's how the old timers used to do it. But but now that I'm here, things are different. And, and so that none of that applies to me. Or, well, we only did that because of those 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 dogs that live to the north, the northern kingdom, the Israelites. And they're the ones that caused all the trouble. And we're Judah and we're the ones that stayed put. And, and it's not our fault. It's their fault. And so this is about them. This isn't about my nation. This isn't about my people. He could have done a lot of things when he heard the law. And so the question became, was he going to own it? Was he going to make it about him or was he going to make it about someone else? Now, in the text, we get no indication that there was even a moment of hesitation in Josiah. However, for us, I think if we deal with this today, we struggle with that a lot more. It is hard for us to be confronted with our own sin, is it not? It is hard for us to have someone come to us, and it's hard whether it's in a sermon or it's in our own personal Bible devotion time, or even if it's a a, a brother or sister in Christ who, who comes to us and says, hey, we see sin going on in your life and you need to address it. It's hard for us to receive that because we don't like to have to kind of shine a light into the dark areas of our life, do we? I remember being a a young man in college and and I was not living for the Lord. And I had one of my roommates, a guy named Tim, come and pick me up. I feel like I've told this story recently. So if it was up here, you can just smile and nod. And as he picked me up, we were driving home uh, to our, our fraternity house and we were talking. And at one point, he kind of finally said to me, he said, do you ever think, because I was telling him like, man, 
you know, I just things aren't going well for me, and I just I'm just not happy with the way my life is, and I, I don't, you know, you know, and I don't know why it just seems like everybody's against me, and I was really kind of having a big boohoo party in his car, and finally he said he he turned to me and he said, "Did you ever think that maybe the reason your life isn't the way you want it and things aren't going the way that you want them to go is because you know who Jesus is and you're not living for Him right now?" And I'll never forget, I was on, I, you know, I don't remember dates, I don't remember all that stuff, I don't remember his car, but I remember where we were. And we were on Providence Road, this is my hometown, and we are driving past this gas station, driving past a Hardee's and going through the light. I remember going, well, no, I don't think that at all. I don't think, I don't think that has anything to do with it. You know, I got real defensive really quick. And he, and he just, because he's smart, he was a smarter guy than I was, despite being a year younger than me. He goes, okay. And we kept driving. But man, I thought about that the whole rest of the car ride home. But unfortunately, what I was thinking was, well, who does he think he is to tell me? You know, he's not even, he's a Lutheran. What does he know about living for Jesus? <laughs> Thunder rolls, there you go. So, so. I made a choice in that moment to not own up to the reality that was the case, because that's exactly what it was. I was trying to find my purpose in all of these things that college was offering me, and I wasn't trying to find my purpose in Christ. And because of that, I was unhappy. And Tim, my roommate, had enough love for the Lord and enough love for me to actually call me out on it, and I didn't want to receive it. Look how God views our brush off when we are confronted with sin and we decide to make excuses and said psalms 50 verse 17 says for you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you so, uh, psalm 50 is actually in the midst of that god is addressing um, the nation of israel and and they're crying out to god and basically saying like why why do you get to judge us why do you get to tell us what to do and he just responds by saying listen you don't do what i say to begin with I tell you how to live. I tell you how to be in covenant with me. But instead of, of receiving what I'm trying to tell you and, and, and learning from it, you throw it over your shoulder. Instead, God wants us to confess our sins, which means that that begins with recognizing our guilt that we are either not doing what God has clearly told us to do or we are failing to do what, what God has, or excuse me, we are not doing what God has told us to do or we are doing what God has told us not to do. I'll get there, don't worry. Let me give you an example. This is how David confessed his sins in Psalm, verse 50, in Psalm 51. He says this, he says, for I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. He says against you and you only, he's talking to the Lord, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. So in essence, what David is saying to the Lord, he says, he says, Lord, I see my sin. He says, I have done what you call evil and you have a right to call me out for my sin and to discipline me because of it 
See, this is what David did. And this is really one of the very reasons why uh, 2 Kings 22 says that Josiah had a heart after David. That he ruled like David because it was someone like Josiah that looked at the book of the law and instead of passing the blame or, or brushing it off or, or, or hiding it, he says, no, that's exactly what I'm doing. And that's exactly what my nation is doing. We have sinned against God. We have done what is evil in his sight. And we deserve the discipline that God is sending our way. Not only does Josiah admit the sin that he sees, but also he has a concern about the sin's results. Looking back at the text, Josiah says, For great is the Lord's wrath that is kindled against us. Because our ancestors have not obeyed the words of this book. Now, this wasn't Josiah passing blame when he says that our ancestors have not obeyed it. But he's recognizing that Judah has not been obedient obedient to the words of the law for a long time, including this very day. This is important when we think about repentance. See, if we have no concern about the consequences of our sin, then there's probably not going to be any concern about making a change. If we are are willing to admit that we've sinned, but we aren't worried about the consequences of sin, then we're we're going to just, our, our admitting to sin almost comes off more like bragging. Yeah, I've done that. Yes, I do this. Yes, I don't do what God says. Yes, I do what I want. What of it? What does it matter? Nothing's going to change. I think this is as big a problem today as probably in Josiah's time. We say things like, I'm a Christian, therefore God won't do anything to me. Well, because I'm a follower of Jesus, I can do whatever I want. I know where I'm going, so I'm just going to enjoy life. I said that their prayer, and I got baptized to that church down the road. I got all that taken care of. I don't need to worry about all that stuff anymore. We just got done yesterday. We went to a men's conference at Cecilia Baptist. And the big challenge was that men need to rise up and lead their homes. And I will tell you this. I have heard that statement. I did. I got, I said that prayer. I got baptized. I'm fine. I don't need to do that church stuff anymore. I have heard that exclusively from men. We can do better. And we need to be concerned about our life and how we are living for the Lord, not just before we get saved or when we get saved, but after we get saved. And all the way until we go to be with Jesus. Now see, what Josiah is reading is pointing to a very different picture. And many theologians believe that Josiah was was hearing from probably the Pentateuch, probably one of the first five books of the law, probably from the book of Deuteronomy. 
They were not as blessed as we are today where we can have all 66 books of the Bible in, in, in one convenient little book. Back then they would be in scrolls and a lot of times they were written, well they, they were always written by hand and so it was much bigger and so these scrolls would not only have just maybe a book of the, of, of the Old Testament but maybe even just a portion of the book of the Old Testament and they would have to, to make several copies just because otherwise it would get too big. And so while we don't know specifically what Josiah was reading from, many theologians, based on what he says, thinks he was reading from the end of Deuteronomy. He likely read words like this, Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and with a glad heart for the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you, in hunger and in thirst in nakedness and in the lack of all things, he will put on an iron yoke that will be placed upon your neck until the day he has destroyed you. This is Deuteronomy 28, verses 47 and 48. I want you to understand that even in the New Testament, we are reminded that sin has consequences. One of the more famous verses that we hopefully knows Romans 6.23 that begins with these words, for the wages of sin is death. See, we have to remember that when we walk away from God, when we sin and we continue on in the path of sin, the result of that is always the same. And it has been the same since the, the first sin was committed with Adam and Eve, that sin always leads us down a path of death and of loss. And if we allow sin to continue on, then ultimately it will take us to a place that we don't want to go. And we will suffer the loss of something. And that might be our own life. That might be eternity. That might be relationships or our hopes and our future. But this is not to say that God is over us, just waiting for us to mess up so that he can crush us. See, in the, even in the days of Josiah, this, these words were not just there to cause guilt and shame and to, to, to lead Josiah to give up all hope, but rather what we see in Scripture over and over and over again is a God who loves us and who knows the consequences and the results of sin and therefore is calling us continually back to him. Ezekiel 33 says it this way. It says, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O Israel? See, the heart of God, when we talk about repentance, when we talk about sin, God's desire for us is not that we would just get punished and be gone. But his desire for us, why he reveals this to us, why he tells us the consequences, is because he has a deep love for us and he is pleading with us, turn away from your sin and turn back to us. So what do we do? What does Josiah do? We turn and hope that it's not too late. 
Again, as we look at Josiah's response, I want you to notice this. It says, go and inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all of Judea, about, or excuse me, all of Judah about the words of the book which have been found. Josiah recognizes that a change has to take place in his heart and in the heart of all of Israel if they are going to receive the mercy and the grace of God. This is what God says through the prophet Ezekiel in our passage above. He says that turn back, turn back so that you will not die, so that you will not receive the consequences of your sin. The command turn back that we see in Ezekiel 33 is is what repentance actually means. See, repentance has become this churchy word that sometimes loses meaning for us. But the word to repent literally means to change one's directions, to make a turn around. God is calling us even today to turn away from sin that is in our lives and controlling our motivations and keeping us from being fully used by God and to turn to him. And here is the best news. God promises that he will forgive us and that he will cleanse us if we do so. See, in Josiah's time, he said, listen, we need to we need to repent. We need to make a change. We need to go to the Lord and see what we need to do to see if we can be forgiven. But what we have today through the shed blood of Jesus Christ is if we turn from our sin and if we turn to the Lord and if we place our our heart and soul and our, our trust into Jesus Christ, that we have the promise that we will be forgiven. First John 1 9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the God we serve, and this is the best news that we could hope to hear today. This passage tells us that as we as long as we are drawing breath, then God can and he will forgive us and that he can and he will make us brand new. Brothers and sisters, it is not too late for you. It is not too late for the people that God has placed in your life and in my life. And it is not too late for this church to be used by God in ways that we cannot imagine. I mean, think about that for just a moment. Let me just pause from, from the preacherness here for a second. Whatever's going on in your life, and I think this is true of everybody in the room. That's what I said. This is about me, right? There are areas of your life that you have not handed over to God. There are areas of, this is true of you, and I'm only saying it's true of you because I know it's true of me. There are parts of your life that you have not given over to God. And I know that's true because there are parts of my life that I've not given over to God. That I still think I have a better handle on or I'm just flat out nervous about the consequences of really handing those over to God. Like I'm going to have to give up something, right? God is calling us to hand those things over. And if we hand those things over to God, and God begins to work even in those dark areas of our life, we could be astounded at what God will do in us and through us for his kingdom and for his namesake. I, don't, I feel like that should excite you a little bit. That God could make a significant impact 
in this church, in our community, even around the world. If we would just really, truly come to Him in, in, in repentance and saying, God, do Your will with my life. Joe picked a song this morning that was pulled right out of Second Chronicles 7.14. And I want to read that to you today because it is undoubtedly one of the most famous verses about repentance in the Bible. And it says this, it says, And if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, if they will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. My question for you today is how do you need to respond to this verse today? What area of your life do you need to turn from? What area, uh, where, where in your life or in your world do you need to humble yourself and turn to God? He's ready. And He has a deep desire to see you come to Him, to forgive you, and to restore you into a full relationship. For some of us today, I know that means giving our life to Jesus for the very first time. It means re recognizing our sin and saying, hey, I'm living in sin. I need to turn to the Lord. If, if, if God is willing to forgive me, then I want that forgiveness. And I want to tell you that he is and he does. And he showed that by sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he paid the price that that our sins earned. And then he rose from the grave. He rose three days later to give us new life in Christ. And if you are ready to place your hope and trust in Jesus Christ, that he is ready and willing and able to forgive you your sin and cleanse you. But for a lot of us in this room, we've done that, but there are still areas of our lives that we have not repented of. There are still things that we've not handed over to God. And I want to challenge you today. As we continue on in this road to revival, let that revival start in you by turning away from the sins that you are holding on to and handing them over to Jesus. However God's calling you to respond today, we would invite you to do so. You can come up and talk to me in the front. You are welcome to just come up to the steps and pray. If there's something that you just need to take to the Lord this morning right there in your seat, we would invite you to do that. Just don't leave today the same way you came in. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and King, we thank you so much for your word. God, we praise you for, for your love and your grace. Lord, I, I just praise you and I just love you for, for loving me enough to tell me when I've messed up. God, I, I know that I'm not perfect. And even as I say this, this message and I research for this, Lord, I, I just feel you working in my heart in the areas of my life that I just do not hand over to you. God, I pray that you would just continue to shine lights into the dark places in my life, Lord, so that I might make a change. But God, I don't just want that for me. I want that for all of us. Lord, help us to really, truly love you with all of our hearts. 
God, we praise you because you are a God who not only loves us enough to tell us the truth, but you are willing and in fact, you are eager to forgive us of our sin. God, I pray that each and every one of us would just come to you like that runaway son, finally ready to come home. And Lord, I pray that we would run to you and that you would meet us with open arms. And God, that you would restore us. And Lord, that you would help us to walk with you in a way like we have never experienced before. God, for those in this room that, that, that need to give their life to you, Lord, I pray that you would begin to just work in their hearts so that they might do so. And God, for the rest of us, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts so that we might live for you with reckless abandon. And in doing so, that you might bring revival to us long before we have revival services. God, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.